Good morning, everyone. This is from Acts 4, 23 to 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will have decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Maisha. Well, once again, thank you for joining us, and, and Happy New Year. I wonder, as you've entered into this this new year, if you've been, been asked the, the question or maybe you had this statement made to you, did you survive the holidays? And I think that's such an interesting statement to make to someone or a question to ask, you know, did you survive the, the holidays? And yet there is a lot of truth probably built into that, that the, the actual holiday of, of Christmas, it's, it's filled with a lot of busyness. It's filled with a lot of buying. It's filled with a lot of, of activity. And even if we take time to to slowly walk towards it, as we did this year, as we, as we moved in, in Advent. It, it can just come on us really quick. Christmas can come kind of, kind of hot and, and heavy, and we can just feel even overwhelmed. And then we just get to, to one day, December 25th, and all of a sudden Christmas has come, and, and Christmas is gone, and, and we're packing up boxes, we're throwing away the tree, we're getting ready to, to make New Year's resolutions, and, and Christmas is kind of left behind. You know, there are a number of, of uh, Christian traditions, more liturgical traditions that, that actually celebrate Christmas for, for 12 days starting on, on Christmas Day, and it actually would be this weekend that they celebrate like the, the end of, of Christmas. And, and with a, a large celebration, they take time to really like lean into the, the Christmas, and, and then they don't just end up with a, a one-day, one-and-done kind of opportunity, but they have 12 days to, to celebrate it. And as I was thinking about this year, I was reminded that, as we talked about on Christmas Eve, that, that Christmas is not simply a holiday. It's not just a, a day off. It's not just a, a one-off. It's, it's this opportunity we have to remember the, the moment that Jesus entered our story. And at Christmas time, and I apologize, Christmas was a week ago. I hope they're okay talking about Christmas a little bit more. But, but at, at Christmas time, it, it's an opportunity not just to... to like remember that reality that this moment that he entered into the story, but the, but the promise that he would come back again and enter our story again to fulfill all that he had promised. But then there's this third reality that, that at Christmas time we can be remembered that Jesus is entering into our story in the here and in the now. No matter where we find ourselves, no matter what we're going through, Jesus still enters in as, as Emmanuel, as, as God with us, and as he fills us with the Holy Spirit, he, he is 
in us and, and with us and in enabling us and empowering us and equipping us for, for good work. And I was reminded of just the, one of the Advent devotions that, that we read, um, if you got one of these, during Advent. And I actually just wanted to share a passage from the first one that Ryan and Trish Thompson had, had written for us at this time, because I just thought what they said was, was profound. It says, it was of this, of this experience that they had gone to another church, and in their children's area, they left out the, the nativity set all year round. Instead of just bringing it out for Christmas, they, they had the nativity set all year round. And here's what they said. They said, our eyes were then drawn to a simple wooden nativity in the focal point of the room. The nativity stays in that space year round. It is a reminder of the hope that the people in the desert looked for, but could not yet know what it would look like. It was a reminder to us that there is still hope. Ever since that visit, we have kept out a nativity um, in our home year-round. No matter what is happening, there is hope. There is Christ. He is coming. He has come, and, and he will come again. My wife, Natasha, and I have actually put that into practice this year. We felt like to have an actual tangible reminder of this hope that we have in this current reality that we live in, that Jesus is with us, that Jesus is Emmanuel, that he, we can be reminded of this moment when he came to fulfill those promises and continues to come to fulfill them as we, as we follow him. And so this morning, as we prepare to jump into another passage of Scripture, I just want to pause with you to just maybe reflect on, on the year that was and to pray into the year that will be and the hope that we have in, in Jesus who, as we just sang, he walks with us and and he talks with us. So would you just take a moment to pause with me? Jesus, we continually thank you for your willingness to enter into our story that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us, that you never leave us or forsake us. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, your personal presence that resides within us. Help us to be reminded of, of each of these things today and, and in the days ahead. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Now, this morning, uh, we're going to continue in our series in Acts, and we're going to land in chapter 4, kind of another part of chapter four today. Now, if maybe if you're visiting or you haven't been with us for very long or you just kind of forgot, I would encourage you to go back and, and read Acts chapter one through four to kind of get a, a quick review of, of what's taken place up and until this point. And we'll talk a little bit about some things that have happened there. But, but if you're looking for maybe one verse or one statement of what is happening and what is taking place in the book of Acts up to this point and then beyond as we go forward, it, it's found in Acts chapter one, verse eight. And it's there when, when Jesus is about to uh, ascend, he'd, he'd, been, you know, he'd been crucified and he'd, he'd resurrected. He'd spent about 40 days hanging out with his disciples, teaching them and talking about the kingdom, showing him he was alive, doing all these cool things. And, and then right before he ascends to the right hand of the Father, he, he makes this statement to them. And it's found in, in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
what we see as we read through the rest of, of Acts is that Luke is telling this story, that Luke is showing us how this, actually, this verse actually plays out throughout the rest of, of Acts and, this, and what we call the, the early church. And as we've been describing the early church, we've been describing it as this, as the, the presence of Jesus in the people of God for the sake of the world. And what we see in, in the beginning of Acts and what we'll see as we continue to go through Acts is that these followers of Jesus, they are, they are speaking about and they are proclaiming what they have seen and, and what they have heard. They are explaining and, and proclaiming the gospel. But not only that, they are, are they like sharing that and speaking that and, and preaching that, but they are also carrying the presence of God into every place and space that they go. Because what we read right after verse 1, 8 and, and later on is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and that in this moment, they took the, the presence of Jesus, entered into them, and, and so where they go, they are carrying the presence of Jesus, so they are speaking the, the words and, and the teachings of Jesus, and they are doing the things that, that Jesus himself had done. We see all sorts of stories in, in Acts, and we will continue to see them of the, the powerful things that are, that are done through the disciples, and, and they often mimic the, the powerful things that we read about Jesus doing in, in Luke and, and Mark and John and Matthew in the Gospels. And what we can understand is that all of this is, is fulfilling what Jesus proclaimed to them in verse 1a when he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be both my witnesses and as we've been talking about over the last few weeks, you will be my, my witness. You will be my presence as you enter into your homes, as you enter into your workspaces, into your, into your classrooms and into your communities. You will be my presence. You will be my witness and my witness in those spaces. And Luke, he gives us a, kind of just a snapshot of what this looks like in chapter 2, verses 42 and uh, 43, where he says, they, being the followers of Jesus, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Luke gives us a snapshot of what it looked like to be these witnesses, to be the witness of Jesus. Which brings us to the passage that, we're, that we read this morning. Now, just to give a little bit more context, I won't go too deep into the, into the weeds on what has already taken place. Again, go back and, and read chapter 3 and, and the beginning of chapter 4. But what we know is, is that Peter and John had, on their way to a temple, had seen a man who was, who was born uh, crippled. And so they offered healing to him. And, and they performed a miracle. And the man stood up and, and jumped and, and praised the Lord and, and ran off with them. And, and then they just proclaimed to the people that, that witnessed this, the thought that Maybe Peter and John had done this. They said, no, this was, this was Jesus. This is in the name of Jesus and by the faith in the name of Jesus that we did these things. And, and all of this stirred up all of the religious authorities, the authorities, those who were worried about Jesus and so much that they crucified him. And, and now they were worried about his name continuing to spread. And so they grabbed Peter and John and they brought them in and they said, what are you saying? And so they preached to them. And, and Jamie Nolingoth a few weeks ago pre preached a wonderful message on, on what Peter and John preached to the, to the religious authorities and, and how they spoke about Jesus as, as the cornerstone. And as they kind of wrapped up this, this meeting with the, the Sanhedrin, the religious authorities, they, they sent them out with, with threats saying, do not speak this name anymore. And, and they threatened them and they punished them and, and then they sent them off. And, and what we see today is that when they left that place, they went back to their to their people, and, and, they, and they prayed. 
And what, we, what Luke is doing here is, is he's kind of showing us what is, what is the, some of the first things that are on the hearts and the minds of these, of these Jesus followers. And what, Luke, what, we, what we don't see in this prayer is necessarily a, a formula for us, like how to pray. Rather, what we get is a, is a framework for prayer. An understanding maybe of how we can structure and, and build our prayers so that they can maybe not necessarily be more effective, but that we can have a greater participation in them. And that's what we're going to look at here for just a little few moments this morning is this, is this framework of, of prayer. And, and maybe just, you could, just for a, a mental visual, you can consider it as like four, the four corners of this, of this framework of prayer. So the first of those four corners is this, is that you would pray first. Now, let me ask you a question, is that when you face opposition or if you face something that's frustrating to you, maybe you face some sort of persecution or just anything that's just making you mad, what is your, your first response? What is your default response? What is the, maybe the first thing that, that takes place in your heart, in your mind, or actually in your, in your reaction? Is it, to, is it to push back? Maybe it's to get online and, and to create a, a post. Maybe it's to to pick a fight, maybe it's just to begin to, to plot against somebody or something that, was, that has opposed you or has, has persecuted you in, in some way. That's not what we see happen here with, with Peter and John. When, when they re- return, it says that they, they pray first. The first thing that they do is, is, they, is they pray. I wonder what it would happen if prayer was our first response, if it was the way that we responded to the things that, that are challenging, the things that are in opposition to us, the things that, that frustrate us, or, or worse, the things that just throw us into turmoil, the challenges in life that just throw life upside down is, is our first response to, to push back or to, to complain or to, or to what, whatever it might be, or is our first response is the first thing we do is it to, is it to pray. I remember when um, my family and I, when we lived in Rwanda, life just often felt like it was out of our control. Like we, you know, we, we kind of control ourselves, but we couldn't control like our, our circumstances. We couldn't control the, the way life would go there, whether we would get sick, or whether our car would break down, or, or, or what have you. And there was, we got to the point where we, where we learned that when things didn't go the way we expected or had hoped for, that, that really our only option was to, was to pray first. Because we couldn't control all of the other dynamics, all the other considerations, we couldn't control them. So our only response was to, was to pray first. And, and, and through that experience, we learned that, that God is faithful, that he continues to be faithful, even when we struggle with our own faithfulness. And we still look back at that season of life, amazed at the ways that he would step in and as we would lean into, into prayer. So that first framework, that first corner of the framework would be to, to pray first. Now, the second corner of this framework would be to pray together. I love how, how Luke describes how that happened on this day when Peter and John returned. He says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. Peter and John had peeps. It's fantastic. And he reported that all the chief, he reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, I want to ask you another question. So, 
who are your peeps? <laughs> uh, who, are your, who are your people? Who are those that you would go back to regularly with both like the successes in life and, and also the, the struggles that you might face in life? When you face a challenge or when the day doesn't go as you would hope for, or maybe when it does, who are the people that you're bringing that to? You see, pe- Peter and John, they had their, their people. They used, it, Luke describes it for us there. They went back to their people and they shared both the, the successes and the struggles of this situation, probably both the, the miraculous and, and also the, the frustrating of what had taken place on that day. But they had a group of people to share these things with, and, and when they heard it, they raised their voices together to God. I can tell you uh, who my people are, uh, besides my wife, Natasha, who is my person, I have two men in this church that I, that I meet with uh, almost every other every week. Uh, if sometimes it would be every other week, but mostly it's like just every Tuesday morning we we connect. and And I've talked about this before, but maybe if you're you're visiting or you forgot all about it, what we do is we just ask each other three questions. We say, "How is it with your soul? How is your soul today? What are your successes and struggles?" And how is, is the, through the, the scriptures or through the Holy Spirit, how is the Lord speaking to you today? What, is, what might the Lord be speaking to you today? And as we meet each week to share those things, we share life's ups and downs. We share the state of our soul. We share how we feel like God is maybe inviting us into something or how maybe he is leading us out of something. And, and after each one of us shares, the, the, uh, one of the others will then pray for him. And then the next one shares, and then someone else will pray for him, and then the next one shares, and someone else will pray for him. We, we come with our successes. We come with our struggles. We even come with sometimes our, our secrets or the things that maybe we're ashamed of, and we share those things as well. And then we pray for each other, and we pray together. Now, we've called these things at Journey Church, we call them discipleship bands, and, and we've talked about them before, but just a definition of what a discipleship band is, it's, it's simply this. It's a, a group of three to five people who read together, pray together, and meet together to become the love of God for one another and the world as they follow Jesus. It's a pretty simple formula for um, praying together and, and praying with others. And, and all it requires is, is a few other people, uh, a willingness to, to share openly, a willingness to keep confidentiality, and a willingness to pray faithfully. And to be honest, I guess we enter into a new year. This is, if I were to, it was to encourage you to take a next step. This is one that I would encourage you to take. For me personally, I have found that, that this formation practice, and I believe that it is a formation practice, has probably been the most impactful for me, not just in this last year, in this last season, but like ever. Apart from turning my life over to Jesus, I've probably seen the most impact in my own faith and, and the faithfulness of others through this practice. And, and I realize that this can feel hard or difficult. It's like, how do I even step into that? Who would I, who would I meet with? Where would we meet? All of the things. And, and my encouragement to you would be to, if you're feeling like the Lord's sensing you an invitation into this next step, is to, is to reach out to me or to reach out to Pastor Mitchell or Pastor Olivia or to Olivia Cutterford, and, and we will help you navigate into that. But honestly, if you have two people in your life, two friends, typically of the, of the same sex, that, that already know you a little bit and you feel comfortable with, this, this is an easy next step to, to lean into this, this uh, framework of, of praying together, of doing life together, of following Jesus together. 
I'd be happy to talk with you more if you have any questions about that. Now, the third corner of this, of this framework is to pray Scripture. We see that in, in this passage and th- that they prayed Scripture as they were praying. I'll go ahead and go to the next slide there, Dan. They said, Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Continue to the next. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And then one more. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. You see, in this prayer, in this praying together, they began to, to pray scripture, not just like picking out random verses, like, oh, this sounds nice, this, I think this works, this fits, but rather they're praying like the story of, of God into their, in, into their understanding of their own circumstances. Like they didn't just have a random verse, this, this random psalm, this random word of, of, of David, of King David, but but rather they saw how this verse, it actually helped them to understand what was taking place when God sent Jesus to actually push against the leaders, to push against the, the religious institution. And, and they're seeing how the, all of this led to Jesus coming in and being their rescuer and how, it was, and how what he did both in his life and in his death and in his resurrection and in his ascension, how it sets them up for, for what is next for them. So it's an it's a opportunity to pray both the scripture itself but the, but the story of God and help us to understand both what that story is and how that story helps us to, to both understand and navigate the current life circumstances that we face because those things aren't separate. They, they actually come together quite well. And then the fourth corner, if you will, of this framework is to, is to pray empowerment. There's another verse that will come up here where it's at the end of this prayer. They said, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word or your servants to speak your word with great boldness. In his book, Draw the Circle, Mark Batterson, who's both an, an author and, and a pastor, he, he says this. He says, um, pray as if it depends on God. Work as if it depends on you. You see, we pray that Jesus would enable us to do what, what, like what we can do, the part that he would ask us to play, the part that he is inviting us to, to play, the next step that he is inviting us to take. For them, it was to, to speak bold words with courage. And maybe for us, it, it, that might be the, the next step. That might be the, the big ask that he is making of us. But it, it might not always be that. It might just be simply reaching out to, to a neighbor. It might just be speaking in a kind word to your spouse. It, it, it really is as the Holy Spirit is, is leading you into it. It's like, Lord, would you now that you've shown me what you've asked me to do, would you enable me? Would you empower me? And Would you equip me with your Holy Spirit to, to do what you have asked me to do, what you are asking me to do? Praying for and praying empowerment, praying enablement. For boldness, strength, resolve, and, and power. And then the, the fifth corner, there's not really, shouldn't be five corners, then it's not a square or a rectangle. 
But the fifth corner is, is probably the most important one, and maybe it's found in the center, or if, if it's on the side, like on the actual corner. But it's, it's to, to pray Jesus, and the reason it's not maybe the exact corner is because Jesus is the cornerstone. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, let me read that what they prayed to the Lord on that day. They said, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And if you remember what we read just a few weeks ago when, when Pastor Jamie was preaching, she said that it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this was, this is, these are the words of, of Peter as he was preaching to the, to the Sanhedrin, to the religious leaders, trying to explain to them what, what had taken place so that they understood it wasn't them and, and it wasn't some revolution, but that this is what had taken place. It said, it's by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the cornerstone, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You know, if we were to go back to that quote by Mark Batterson, what he says in his book, Draw the Circle, he says, pray like it depends on Jesus, and then work like it depends on you. You see, praying the name of Jesus is not, a, it's not just like a secret word, like a, some kind of magic, like abracadabra or whatever, but it's actually, it's, it's our placing our trust in Jesus' ability, his power, his sovereignty to, to do what only he can do. Because when we face situations like they faced or ones that will be different and unique to us, the challenges, the ups and downs of life, the, the circumstances that we can explain and the ones that we can't, the ones that, that flip us upside down or the ones that, that excite us, there are things that we can do to, to try to fix it, but at the end of the day, there, there, are, there are so many things that only Jesus can do, and our willingness to, to trust that it is this, this cornerstone that we're talking about, the, of this framework, it's to trust in Jesus, to trust that he will do what only he can do, and then we can participate as, as much as we know how. Like, this is the, the framework that we see. It's not, again, it's not a formula. It's like we don't just have to mimic the prayer that we see prayed here in Acts chapter 4. But, but as we approach the Lord in prayer, we can utilize this as a, as a framework, as a way to, to frame our prayer, to, to stand and, and to um, pray first when things go wrong, to pray together with those that are around us, those who know our struggles and they know our successes, to, to pray Scripture, to pray the Word of God so that we are praying like the story of God into our lives and understanding our story in the, through the lens of, of his story and praying empowerment, but at the end of the day, praying Jesus. But if you're like me, I think we would all agree that one thing we know about prayer is that prayer just doesn't happen. It doesn't just take place. It doesn't maybe even come naturally to us in some ways. We struggle with it at times. I know I have and I continue to at times. It doesn't just happen. We must make space for prayer. I mean, and more than just trying to prioritize it, it must become a, a daily rhythm, a part of how we live, a part of how we operate, a part of how we just walk through our days with rhythm and, and habit and, and practices. I like how uh, Tyler Staten describes this in his book, Praying Like Monks and Living Like Fools. He says, Jesus lived by a daily prayer rhythm in a world without iPhones or email 
a world even without clocks. For Jesus and his earliest followers, communion with God marked the passage of time. Everything else had happened a certain distance before or after prayer. Everything else was prioritized around prayer rather than prayer fitting in around, in around competing priorities. Communion with the God of love was the center of life, the anchor for their day. What anchors your day right now? We talked about prayer uh, in 2023. We talked about a number of, of formation practices, including Sabbath and, and fasting. And, and as we talked about prayer, one of the things that we talked about and, and encouraged one another to do was to create a, a prayer rhythm. The, the prayer rhythm that, that Tyler Stain talks about in this book, and it is pretty traditional, is to spend the day just the morning time of prayer, you know, 10, 15 minutes, and praying through the Lord's Prayer. And doing that, uh, some, uh, you know, a, a specific prayer in the morning, and then at lunchtime, at least as he would describe it, to pray for those who are lost, those who don't know Jesus, those who are far from God, praying for those in your life that, that you know need a personal, transformative relationship with Jesus, and, and just taking a few minutes, even in the, somewhere in the midday, to pray that. And then at the night, you know, as you go to bed or somewhere in the evening, to, to pray again, maybe prayers of gratitude, prayers of reflection, prayers of, of examining the day that had just been, but but taking time to, to reconnect and to, to place yourself in, in the presence of God. This is what he's talking about and what, and what I'm talking about as we talk about a need for a, a prayer rhythm. See, we know that to pray, as we've talked about it before, it's to, to commune and to communicate with God. And, um, and we, know that it's, we know that it's significant. So I wonder after talking about that, how that played out for you? If you were able to figure out or to establish some kind of a, a prayer rhythm that worked for you, that made sense for you, it, I've kind of figured out what, what it looks like for me, and, and it's a, still a work in progress because I, I know I have a habit of, of praying in the morning. I can drink my coffee. I can read from my Bible, and I can just sit in silence and then pray for the time that I have. It's, I find it harder to pray in the middle of the day for whatever reason, busyness and distraction probably. And then by the time I crawl into bed, my wife would say, I fall asleep before my head hits the pillow. So I, I struggle to pray at, at night as well, but I want to establish that rhythm. And, and if I can start with one, the morning prayer, then I add the, a midday prayer. But I guess the question is, how has that been for you? Has that been a hard, has that been a struggle, or has it been something that you have found that, that has worked? And, and maybe that's something that would be worth sharing with someone else so that they would understand like what that looks like for you and have a better understanding of what might work for them. But it's... These things are they're called practices for a reason because they take practice and we have to figure them out. We have to experiment. We have to play around with them a little bit and, and as we interact with the Lord and see how that sticks and, and how that fits. But they're just some, maybe some examples of how this, can, how this can look. There was one other statement that Tyler made in his book that I just felt was very significant for me and for us. And he says this. He says, the modern church is in desperate need of one of the church's most historic practices, one that has been largely forgotten in our time, a daily prayer rhythm. We can't merely look back and romanticize another time. The invitation is to live it now. Prayer to return where we began is more practice than theory. If we want a biblical experience, we must live biblical lives, taking on biblical practices in a new time and, and in a new place. And, and to be honest, I think for me, I'm sensing both the invitation and the conviction to anchor myself and honestly to anchor our church, our church family in, in prayer. 
And so I think we're going to be talking about that more as we go through 2024. And I wouldn't be surprised if we circle back to prayer a number of times. In fact, as we read through the story that Luke is telling in Acts, we're going to see that the prayer is not just a theme found in Acts. It's, it's a way of, of following Jesus, of being in relationship with Jesus. It's just a, a way of, of being as a Jesus follower. And, and so we will circle back to that time and time again in the, in the year because we find value in it and we want to anchor our lives in Christ. And one way we can anchor our lives in Jesus is to anchor ourselves in, in prayer. And one, we can, one way we could anchor ourselves in prayer is to anchor ourselves in, in a rhythm of prayer. So maybe that would be something that you can think through and pray through and work through this year. But for us this year, we want to provide an opportunity to both make space to pray, but also to pray first, to pray together, to pray scripture and to pray empowerment and to pray Jesus. And so to do this, we're, we're gonna, we believe that Jesus is inviting us to take five days this month to both pray and to fast. Now, when I said that, you're probably like, pray, yes, fast, what? Uh, maybe even some of you came in, you grabbed one of these books. There was a little booklet on the table over here on the guest connection table. Said, oh, free book. Let me grab that. And you open it up. Oh, and you said, oh it says fasting in there. And now, we've done this before as, as a church. We've taken five days, typically in, in February, maybe right before the season of Lent. And we'll just spend five days praying and fasting and, and consecrating, which just means like offering ourselves up. To Jesus. And, and when I say that, like a five-day fast, I'm sure there's just a lot of maybe anxiety or like the unknown that might well up in, inside of you. Like, what are you asking me to do? Are you asking me to just starve myself for five days straight? Are you asking me to, to, to pray nonstop for five days straight? Well, no and, and, and no, but maybe yes and, and, and yes in, in some ways, because it's the invitation is for you to, to spend some time with Jesus. And to see what his invitation is for you in this five-day fast. And the five-day fast can look very different for, for, for different seasons of life, different personality types or whatever. It, it might involve fasting from food. It, I've, it, it might involve skipping a meal here or there. It might involve fasting from social media or, or coffee or, or entertainment. And, and it really can be what you feel like the Lord is inviting you into. But the idea of, of fasting, it really, and it's at the core of it, is it's creating space by removing something that we have become dependent upon. Like food is something that we're just naturally dependent upon. So that's like the, probably the most powerful thing to fast from because the moment you stop eating, you'll, you'll notice you've stopped eating and, and your body will, will fight against that. And, and maybe this is an opportunity for those of us that went through the fasting practice to revisit that a little bit. Maybe we fast you know, a meal a day for those five days, or just maybe a, however that might look for you. I, I don't want to try to determine that, but it, it's an opportunity to create space to, to be with God by removing something we might be dependent upon. It might be food. It, it could be entertainment. It could be coffee. It could be some other thing that we, that we put into our body. Who knows? But, but by selecting something like that, we're, we're actually costing ourselves something. It should be hard. Whatever we, we give up, it should, it should challenge us. It should sting a little bit. It shouldn't, like, harm us. That's where, like, you have to be wise in, in how you figure this out. And as you leave today, I'd encourage you, if you're feeling a sense of invitation into, 
entering into 2024 through prayer, fasting, and consecration, I would encourage you to grab one of these booklets on the way out. And the first few pages will give just some instruction on, on prep, preparing for fast, especially if you're considering fasting from food in, in any way. But it's not, it's not limited to that because as you go through it, it'll talk about, here's my plan for fasting. Today I'm fasting from, and you would just name what I'm fasting on, on January 22nd. I'm going to fast from social media. And today I am praying for, I'm going to pray for my brother who doesn't know Jesus. Tuesday, I, this is what I'm fasting from, and this is what I'm praying for. Wednesday, this is what I'm fasting from. This is what I'm praying for. And then there's a short devotion each week, and there's a place in here to actually reflect on the last year and how maybe God had, had been answering and providing for you, and there's space in here for you to consider what you might be fasting for and what you might be praying for in 2024. And, and then it actually has a space for you to say, like, who are you going to be doing this with? Who will you pray together with as you walk through this? So we aren't starting this until January 22nd through the 26th, so we have a few weeks, but we wanted to, to hand this to you now so you would spend time praying, talking to God, talking with God, listening to God, and just being with God and saying, Lord, what are you inviting me into? What are you inviting me to, to fast from? What are you inviting me to, to fast for? And what are you inviting me to pray for in these days? How are you inviting me to, to offer myself to you at the beginning of this year and maybe throughout this year? That's the invitation that, that we wanted to extend to you today and in the, in the weeks ahead. And so we'll give more information. We'll talk through this a little bit more in the next few weeks. But a first step would be to grab one of these on your way out if you're sensing an invitation into that. Let me invite Olivia and her daughters to come up and as they prepare to close in one other song. But I have one last thing to share as they get ready is that this week as I was preparing for this message, I... I Typically, I sleep solidly through the night. Again, my wife would tell you, I have no problem sleeping. That's not my challenge. But every once in a while, I'll wake up at like 2 in the morning, and, and I will just struggle to, to, to fall back asleep. And this was one of those times. And, and as I was just, it was 2 in the, in the morning, and I'm just up laying in bed, I felt like the Lord was talking to me about this passage that we were reading today. I felt like Jesus was saying, do you remember that verse in Second Chronicles where it says, if my people pray? And, and so I, I looked that up, and, and I'm going to read that to you in a moment, but I want to give you just a tiny bit of context about that passage, because it's not just a, prayer, a passage about prayer, but in that moment, it was when Solomon had just finished building the temple, and he had prayed kind of this prayer over the temple and inviting God's presence into the temple. And after he printed, finishes this, this prayer, it says that, that the, the Lord's presence came and entered into the temple like fire. Similar to what we see written and described in, in Acts, when, when the fire falls down and, and people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in these different languages, it's, it's this, the temple of God is being filled with his presence. And if you read throughout the Old and New Testament, we'll see that this, this idea of temple, this language of temple is, is found throughout. It's, it's this idea of God wanting, wanting and desiring to be in and with his people. That's the way it was in, in the Garden of Eden when, when he was in and, and with his people. And then after that, that kind of got messed up, he, he entered into a, a tabernacle, this, this mobile tent, this place where he could be with his people, where he could, his divine presence could be, could be found and, and sought. And, and eventually they built a temple to do that. And, and then again, his, like I was just describing, the fire came down and, and it filled the temple. But eventually none of those things were enough. And so he sent his son Jesus. And in Jesus, the, the divine presence of God 
dwelt. And Jesus dwelt among us. And when Jesus died, when he was crucified and then resurrected, and when he ascended to the, to the right hand of the Father, he sent his Holy Spirit who fills us and now dwells with us as living temples. So when we read this passage this morning, that it's only, it's, this is the, the Lord answering Solomon's prayer. And I believe he's, he's speaking even to us today. And so I want to close with, with the words of the Lord himself to Solomon, and then we will close with a song after that. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Amen.